Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Love What You Do podcast. You've got Levi here. This week, I interviewed Pastor Steve Ratliff, who is the senior pastor at Faith Manhattan Church in Manhattan, Kansas. Faith Manhattan Church is a Christian church of the Evangelical Free Denomination that's been in Manhattan since 1987, and Steve has been pastoring there nearly that whole time, coming up on 35 years of ministry. Steve shares with us about faith in God, what it means to be a pastor, and some wisdom for what it takes to go the long haul in ministry. I really enjoyed talking to Steve and getting to know him a little bit, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation as well. So without further ado, here we go. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Glad to join you, Levi. Let me start with this question. Uh, How did you come to be a believer in Christ? Well, I grew up in South Mississippi. Uh, My dad was a pastor. My mom uh, was, she she became a Christian in her mid-20s. She's Jewish. And so I grew up in that home. It wasn't until I was a sophomore in college that I really came in, came into a, a relationship with Christ for my own. I had heard the words my entire life, but um, I really saw in them something I'd never really seen before. They had a joy. They were, it's kind of like they were on a first name basis with Jesus. And I hung out with them a lot. I got in a Bible study and I came to the conviction for myself that uh, Jesus had died for my sin and that he could, if I trusted in him, he could wipe away my sin and make me a, this sounded really weird, but a new creation in mm-hmm. Christ. And for me, at that time, I had been kind of running with a pack for a year and a half, and it, it ended up being like the most obvious natural thing for me to do. And so I had some, some pretty radical changes in my life at that point. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about um, how you came from becoming a Christian to then becoming a pastor? Well, in retrospect, I understand some things that I didn't at the time. I went to LSU. I transferred from LSU after I, I trusted Christ. The first Bible study I ever got in was on Second Timothy. And it turns out that Timothy's mom was Jewish and his dad was a Gentile. And Timothy was kind of a temperamental guy. He, he was had some, um, you know, Paul encouraged him along the way. And just everything about that book uh, worked for me. Timothy was a young pastor. And in retrospect, I see that God started giving me the heart of a pastor mm-hmm. at that time, just from, from day one in terms of my walk with Christ. Yeah. So in order to be a pastor, you trained at a seminary. Is that right? Right. And uh, where did you go to seminary? Went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is on the North Shore of Chicago. Okay. And uh, how would you summarize your experience at seminary? Well, seminary is grad school. So like most grad degrees, you have more work than you can do. You're just, it's oppressive. Yeah. Um, But so it's not like one long Bible study or anything like that. But it really gives you some foundational theological training that prepares you to study the rest of your life. So you get out of seminary, you don't have to look up the word propitiation or sanctification or atonement. You, 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 you have a core understanding of those things and then the tools to keep learning the rest of your life. Yeah. Do you feel like a seminary gave you any practical tools for ministry in addition to the kind of the scholarship side? Not too many. Okay. Not too many. I remember I got here to Manhattan and, uh, in 1988, and somebody called me up out of the blue, and they said, she kept calling me pastor. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm a pastor. And her mother had died, and what, she wanted me to do a funeral. And I think I have a half a lecture on funerals and a half a lecture on weddings. It's, it's totally clueless. I called up a pastor in town and said, hey, can you coach me on how to do funerals? So that's not the strength of most seminaries. I think 
Presently, seminaries are doing a better job. Back in the 80s, it wasn't great. Would you say that that pattern continued where when something new came up, you would reach out to other pastors in the area? Yeah, most definitely. Okay. And were there any pastors or any professors, whether from seminary or later in your experience, that had a profound impact on you? You know, I studied with Scott McKnight up at, at Trinity, and, and so he was something of a mentor. Um, I kept in, in decent contact with him. But honestly, it, it ended up being more through um, books and authors that, that really kind of mentored me over the years. Yeah. What have some of your favorite books along the way been uh, in that journey? Well, there's a guy named Eugene Peterson, and his strength was uh, writing about pastoral ministry. He's got a book called The Contemplative Pastor, and he gave this basic job description of, of a pastor is to preach and pray and listen to people. And I've adopted, I would say, preach and pray and talk with people. And that's been pretty formative for me, and I found that to, to be the core of what I do. And so then kind of adding on to that um what does that look like over the course of a week? You know, what does a typical week look like for you as a pastor? So I block out the best hours of my week to study and prepare for the sermon. And that's what, what our church values. And so Monday through Thursday, I go into monk mode on in the mornings. And occasionally there's, it differs, but that's my the best hours of my week. And then in the afternoons and, and sometimes at evenings are for appointments and, and for other responsibilities. And um, how do you balance the pastoral duties of teaching with the other kinds of pastoral duties? Do you feel like they're ever in tension? And, and how do you manage that? They are in tension. And they're intention, but they go hand in hand. Yeah. And so the the the, re, the relationships and the personal interaction often fuels my study. I can only go so far by myself, uh, studying a passage and preparing. It's a lot of times it's in a conversation, interaction with somebody that I really understand the significance of it and w- where I want to go in in a message. Okay. Yeah. Can you recall a time where you didn't feel prepared for your work? <laughs> hmm. Quite often I, I've felt I'm, I'm in situations way over my head, and that's, that's not all bad. It, it, uh, it keeps me seeking God in ways that it might not otherwise. I ran across this expression years and years ago. I tried to look it up, but I, I don't know where it came from. This guy said, God made me a pastor because he couldn't trust me to do anything else. And I, I believe that in a lot of ways. People try to, they don't like to hear that from me, try to talk me out of it, but there are ways that it keeps me tethered to God, to Christ in ways it wouldn't otherwise. So yeah, I'm, I feel over my head still yeah. quite often. And so that's where the role of faith comes in. Faith, right. All right. Um, so kind of reflecting on your work as a pastor, do you think that there's a difference between the work of a pastor from church to church? Do different churches see the role of a pastor differently? I, I really do think that's the case. Some have a priority on the teaching part of it, and others maybe the involvement in the community, some uh, more the uh, care or shepherding of people. So it really varies from church to church. And depending on how many pastors are on staff, you can be more specialized in a larger church. And in a smaller church tend to be more generalist, and so you just really need to do a wide array of, of things. Do you feel like it is more challenging to do ministry in a, a smaller church or a larger church, or could you kind of speak to 
kind of what it looks like maybe the differences between being at a smaller church and a larger church? I think it's challenging in different ways. And over the year, you know, when I started, I was the only pastor for, I think, 12 years. And that comes with its own challenges because you're just pulled in so many different directions. Now I'm very specialized. The The Sunday morning teaching and just overall leadership is really what I do. I'm not in charge of anything else. And so uh, I'm more focused, and that's a lot better. But there, there's a broader um, responsibility just to to take care of whatever comes comes your way on a church-wide level. Yeah. With a larger church, how do you kind of address the um, maybe the, the challenge of building community when there's kind of so many people in a service or so many people in the church at one time to kind of get that sense of connection between people? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, there was a time when I knew everybody in the church, and now um, when I teach, I, I'm decently vulnerable when I teach, and so there are many people that know me and but I don't know them, and it's an odd dynamic sometimes. But that's the main way I, th- I think that I connect with with people is through the messages. But when I'm not when I'm relating to people outside of you know the Sunday morning service, I do just engage. I, I am naturally a people person, and so uh, I don't have to fake it. I had this guy when when I was thinking about going to seminary, went into talk to different pastors. And one of the guys I talked to, you, he actually said this. I said, what, what, do you, what do you need to be a good pastor? And he said, you need to make people think that you care about them. Not that you care about them. You need to make them think. And I was like, God, deliver me from that. I never want to be that, you know. And by his grace, I, I, I feel like I've never had to fake it. I, I just honestly do care about people. And so that yeah. comes through in different contexts. Um. Can you talk about the daily disciplines that shape your routine? In 1 Timothy 4, Paul told Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. And the temptation is to pay attention just to your teaching. You know, it's like having a final exam every Sunday morning. And so one of the disciplines is just paying attention to myself. So going to Scripture daily, not because I am studying for a sermon but just because I need to connect with God, I need to, to learn from Him. And so that is that is as foundational as, as anything. And then just interaction with other, other Christians on a, on a substantive level, not just talking about official church business. Honestly, I don't do that too much. But just for me, having honest relationships where I'm, I'm sharpened by those is really essential for me. Okay. I do have a friend, Paul, who I've, I've been meeting with basically weekly for uh, almost 25 years. And so so that's a that's a core relationship there. Awesome. Um, so kind of going in the direction you talked about um, earlier, do you think that there is any role for self-care and the role of a pastor? How would you define self-care? Uh, self-care basically is... Uh, Things you do to take care of your mental, uh, physical, spiritual well-being, uh, so that you can be of service to others and maintain a, a healthy lifestyle. Right. That uh, that's a great question. So yes, uh, one of the things I've appreciated is that the church wants us to have a life outside of just our ministry responsibilities. So yeah, I'm part of a gym, and so that's that's been a huge thing. Just exercise. Um, 
I have uh, some hobbies that are that are great. Woodworking is a primary one, and so that's been a, just an incredible creative outlet. I make Windsor chairs, which is kind of, kind of using hand tools, and and so that's that's very um, refreshing for me. Yeah. And when I when I need to, I go to counseling. You know, I'm not afraid to to do that. There used to be a day when that was kind of taboo. But not really anymore. It's a it's a natural thing. If you need to talk to somebody, uh, go talk to somebody. And so I've done that on numerous occasions. Yeah, yeah. So this kind of goes hand in hand with daily disciplines. Um, but I wanted to ask, what do you do to stay grounded in your relationship with God? I do think that um, my relationship with with Paul is just is just core on that. So we we just have a very transparent relationship with each other. He he knows. Uh, the issues I struggle with, and he he knows me well enough to ask me these types of questions that keep me honest and keep me grounded. And that, along with just honestly, scripture is so practical, and it and it if you allow it to, it gets to the heart of the issues in your life. One person said when they read the Bible, "I finally found a book that knows me." And so I find that the Bible itself diagnoses many things in my life. It confronts issues and gives me categories for thinking about things. So I'm not just left with trying to figure it out or try to um, create some grid for understanding it. It really yeah. provides that. Yeah. Are there any books of the Bible that you especially connect to? The past couple of years, it's the book of Psalms more than anything. It really gives voice. It's called, it's the prayer book of the church, yeah. for the Jewish people. And it's like Psalm 25, uh, to you, O Lord, uh, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Yea, none who wait upon you will be put to shame. And so those are ideas I would just never think about, but they give voice to kind of the deepest longings of my heart. And so Psalms have really been nourishing. Wonderful. Yeah. In your years of ministry, what would you identify as significant challenges for the church? And that can be the church more broadly. Um, but yeah, what, what do you see as kind of being some of the the questions that maybe the church will have to answer in, the, in kind of the coming years? I think it's a challenge between doing the basic things that the church is called to do and kind of this need to feel relevant. And so what the church does is we worship and we pray, we study the scriptures, we have honest relationships with each other, and we we seek to love our neighbor as ourself. And so that's at the heart of it. And there's there there are these temptations to be relevant in ways that, that have nothing to do with all that. Mm-hmm. And so the latest trends or you know, in you name it, worship, um, programming, whatever. Yeah. And so there's a tension here because I remember when I was first starting out, an old pastor said, I'm glad I'm not becoming a pastor or starting out as a pastor now. And I was just thinking, what? It's just things seem normal to me. And now that I'm, I'm approaching the end of my pastor, I think I'm glad I'm not starting out as a pastor now. It's just Everything that's happening in the culture, there's an expectation that the church will address it. And sometimes you can address it in, in biblical categories. Other times it's the expectation is almost you need to be an expert in, you name it, politics, um, uh, social issues. And 
sometimes that just creates an unrealistic burden. Thank you. What hopes do you have for the church today um, and for your local congregation as well? One of my hopes is to see every generation being faithful. You know, so we have we have people from when we started out, every there was young families with tons of kids. And now we have people in their seventies, eighties, you know, nineties. And so all the way down to tons of young young families with kids, college students, and then everything in between. And so I would love to, one of my hopes is that the church would really thrive in each area and each one would learn from from the other generations. So yeah. people my age, I'm 64, often they will mention to me, I love seeing college kids, you know, and it kind of gives them hope for the future because um, the culture is pretty pessimistic about the future and upcoming generations. And I just I just love the upcoming generations and, and want to see, you know, the church really... Um, just continue to be a home for, for people in all, all yeah. generations. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's a question. What would you say to pastors who are experiencing burnout? There probably isn't one size fits all, but I think everybody needs honest friendships with people that you can just absolutely be yourself with. And so there's something very healing about that and just knowing that people get you and that they they don't necessarily want want to fix you but they will will uh, actually walk with you through whatever you're going through. I do think everybody needs mentors and I didn't have as many of those uh, at the first but now I've got people I can call for almost any issue I'm going through and so um you know, they, they say you, you don't start weaving the parachute after you've jumped out of the plane. And so if you're in the middle of burnout or in the middle of crisis, it's hard to go looking for a mentor. And so preparing for that relationally and just knowing that that day will come, it's pretty rare where a pastor doesn't have burnout. Um, and it's really, I think it's true in almost every profession. Yeah. And so it's not unique, but if you're in caring professions and you're the one that is supposed to be taking care of people and now you need somebody to, to help take care of you, if you're not prepared for it, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty hopeless, lonely feeling. So you mentioned mentorship. How, in the church specifically, how do young people find mentors and how do people who maybe are interested in becoming mentors uh, mm-hmm. fill that role? Is there, is there a way? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question, and the two go hand in hand. Uh, if if there aren't people that would see themselves as mentors, you don't have to see yourself as having it all together, but uh, if you don't see yourself as a mentor, people aren't going to find mentors. So I think um, people should get in a position where they want to help people that are a few steps behind them. And so it's. I think a lot of it starts out with being curious about people, and you're, you're willing to develop an honest relationship with people. And so it takes time. It, it takes consistency, you know, consistently meeting with somebody, yeah. and then just making yourself available. And so I think I think we need need those mentors in all different generations. So I get the feeling that there's also kind of the the honest friendship that you talked about before. That like that's a component of a good mentorship. Right. So one of my mentors is a guy named Rob. He lives in Austin. And he's just curious about my life. So I'll lay something out for him and he will reflect on it. He will make observations about it. And 
he, he does have knowledge, and, and that's really helpful, but in the context of knowing that he cares for me, that just it makes it good times 10. Yeah. 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 How would you describe the difference between knowing about God and knowing God? You know, in, in the Bible, God is described in with a lot of anthropomorphic terms. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can know facts about God. You can read a systematic theology and you can have here the, you know, 47 attributes of God that, that are true. But just like a person, you can know about a person, but it honestly is spending time with someone, experiencing them, and that's that's hard to to do with an invisible God. But that's the way that's the way it works. And so you don't just sit alone and get to know God in a vacuum. You get to know God in everyday life. You talk with Him about what you're going through. You talk with others, how they've experienced God. And so just like any relationship, there is a there is a, an experiential aspect of it that is invaluable. And over time, you know, people know God. They do. What would you like to talk about if you could pick a direction to head in with this conversation? I could tell you a couple of things that have surprised me about being a pastor. Yeah, please do. I have never found studying and teaching the Bible to be boring. It just is endlessly fascinating to me. Uh, scripture is, you know, you hear the, the imagery, it's so deep that you can swim and never touch bottom, and it's so shallow that a toddler can wade out into it. It's like the ocean. Then I find that that's, that's true, that the more I study the Bible, the more I want to study the Bible. And instead of thinking, okay, now I'm mastering this book, it's like, I think, okay, there's so much more here that I want to ponder and, and explore and, and seek to understand. And so it's kind of a little bit counterintuitive because you might think eventually you're going to master this, you're going to get bored with this and want to do something else. But I found the opposite to be true. Yeah. When you open the Bible and you begin to study it, what does that feel like? What is the this sense of kind of getting uh, maybe a little bit lost in the depths, but also kind of drawing out the practical. Is there just any way you can describe that? Uh, what's that feeling like? Well, it's I don't always have that feeling, but if I slow down and I, uh, you have to come with a, sometimes if my mind is racing, I just have to to admit that and don't, and, and think about, pray about the things that are on my mind, don't ignore them. And I, I've found that if I take the time to really soak in a specific passage of Scripture, it might just be a couple of verses, that that gets my mind uh, in a place where I'm like, there's something very satisfying here. There's something I need to hear. And it almost always gets me to that place where I'm going, oh, that's so good. That's so true. That's so right. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think as a discipline, it's the cumulative effect that is important. Just like you, you may not remember what you had for lunch three weeks ago, but you needed that nourishment at the time and yeah. over time, you know, has an effect. In the same way, our intake of scripture and other other disciplines 
has a, an inf- a, an effect that's imperceptible sometimes. We yeah. may not feel different, but it can be making a difference. Yeah. Um, changing topics a little bit, I just wanted to ask, you did some time uh, serving as a chaplain with the police department. Could you talk about that a little bit? I was a, a chaplain with the police department here for maybe 20 years, something like that. And what was that like? Well, it was it was really fascinating. I, the the cop culture is really interesting, and it's it's unlike anything else that I've experienced. But so I did did ride alongs with with cops different times at night, and that's a different different view of Manhattan. You know, when you're seeing Aggieville close down at you know quarter till two in the morning, just get a different view than you would otherwise. One of the main things that we did as chaplains is uh, is death notifications. And so when someone's passed and a, an extra kin needs to be notified, um, some cops do do well at, at that, but oftentimes they want someone with uh, other skills and sensibilities. And so it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life, is especially if it's a child that has, has died. Um, is to inform the, the parents, but it's in some senses you're like, uh, okay, I, I understand the impact of this, and I am happy to be be present and be part of this experience with them. And occasionally you'll connect with somebody that you you stay in contact with over the years, and that's a incredibly meaningful thing. Mm. Did that experience change you? It did. It does. I, I, I can remember a couple of death notifications that when I think about them, the same emotions come back. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me that, um, well, my, my conviction from Scripture is that we are eternal beings. And so death is an enemy. And so when, when, you, when someone dies close to you, something horrible has happened. That's not God's design. And so you, you can bring comfort into that that situation, but it's just a reminder that this world is not as it should be. And uh, that is great to remember. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing about that. Yeah. I'm going to be shifting gears here a little bit. Um, do you consider yourself a lifelong learner? Definitely. Okay. I know you kind of mentioned this earlier, but what is your full list of hobbies? What are the things that you like to do in your off time for fun or kind of just to refresh your soul? Yeah, my number one hobby is woodworking, specifically making Windsor chairs. So it's it's the same technology and the same tools, basically, that they used 250 years ago in colonial America. And so uh, most of the chairs made with hand tools. Um, except for the seat, it starts out as logs. And so you split and rive the logs and you work them with tools like um, draw knife, spoke shave, um, travisher, and use a shave horse, those types of things. And so it's just fascinating. I just fell in love with the, the form of Windsor chairs. And so that's, that's a, a serious hobby. Um, the other thing is uh, I've kind of got into fermented foods. And so I don't food. know if sourdough is in that category, but yogurt and and uh, I did kombucha until I had the big explosion in my kitchen. I put that on pause 
And sorry, can you talk about this? The big explosion in your kitchen? Well, kombucha, you 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 do two fermentations, and the second fermentation, you it's basically fermented sweet tea, and you put it in a a uh, a bottle or a jar, and I I let it go too long, mm. like a day or two days too long, and about ten o'clock one night, <laughs> two jars exploded or two two bottles exploded, like one after the other. My wife Brenda was was in the room, and I'm thankful she wasn't disfigured or scarred, but there was kombucha and shards of glass all over the ceiling, the walls, the furniture. Whoa. And so I put that on pause. I love kombucha, but I'm going to wait till I have a little more focus. So this was like a legitimate pressure cooker explosion. Like right. this was yeah. serious stuff. It's serious stuff. Those bacteria and yeasts in there are very active. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 Word of warning to the kombucha crowd. Uh, but like Don't your, let it your, go a day or two late. <laughs> But I'm not as good as your last uh, guest on the podcast, but I do love making sourdough. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to wrap up here with a few kind of questions on reflection. Do you have any advice for young people who are entering college um, and they're trying to find their way in the world? Yeah. This is kind of the pastor answer. Okay. But I would encourage you not to live your life by trial and error. Like the book of Proverbs was written from the perspective of a dad to his son who is leaving home. And so every fall I see college freshmen and I think back to when I was a college freshman and I'm like, there are many paths you can take and some of them are incredibly dangerous. And some, some people never recover from the paths they take. And there, there, are, there is a path that leads to life, and I understand that to be taught in Scripture, and ultimately it's the, the narrow way that Jesus talked about. And so I would encourage you to find people whom you respect and whom you want to be like and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a perspective, oh, you're college, you can do whatever you want, you're free, and, and that's true to a point, but there's a lot at stake. And so I, I would encourage you, don't, don't underestimate how much danger there there is out there? Yeah, because there's there's something you can learn that you the rest of your life, and I would say for eternity, really, you will be glad you you uh, there's a way that of life that you pursued. You'll be glad yeah. for it for eternity. Is this way also kind of synonymous with the wisdom of God, or with kind of the the wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and my my assumption going into college is that that would be a boring, small, limiting way to live your life. And it turns out the opposite is true. Real freedom involves not just doing whatever you want. Freedom involves being able to do what you what you should do and what you know you should do. Yeah. And could you, could you clarify for us while you're here? I know it's hard sometimes for people to kind of understand the phrase, but what does the fear of the Lord mean? Uh, does it mean being yeah. afraid of God? Does it mean uh, something else? Yeah, it doesn't mean cowering in the corner because you're terrified of God, but it means having a, you relate to God in light of who he really is. And so sometimes you find it with coaches. You know, people will say, my coach, the last thing I wanted to do was disappoint him. I, I did not want to get on his bad side, but I know he loved me and he had my best interest in 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 heart. So I would, that's why I followed him. And ultimately that's the fear of the Lord. 
God is the last person you want to get on his bad side, not because he's a bully and he's going to do horrible things to you, but because you love him and you, you want to be like him. And so you, you respect who he is and what he says, and you humbly follow it. Yeah. Yeah. And so kind of connecting that back to the question that the kind of practical step maybe in heading in that direction would be for young people entering college um, to maybe try to find a church to get plugged into or find right. people around them that they want to yep. be like that is that are modeling lives that is uh, yep. are life-giving and, and uh, healthy and, and faithful. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, what would you tell young people about finding work that is meaningful? I would say don't put tons of pressure on yourself to figure it out when you're 18 years old. So I had a bunch of majors in, in college. One, one, like, one of my majors was uh, architecture. I described that as the longest six weeks of my life. I took a <laughs> test that's, that came out with architecture. And so I changed schools and studied architecture. And it, it was, uh, yeah. And it, it's not surprising I couldn't figure that out at age 20, you know. And so I would say be open to learning and discovering over time what you're what you're really suited to do it's not that you have to find your dream job or your you have to always be passionate about it but at the very least you need to be have an aptitude for it and find it satisfying and and that is a that is a function of living in an affluent society in the western world i remember being in india going floating down the ganges river and my the guy i was with said see that guy there He's, he was washing clothes on the side. His dad did that. His granddad did that. He's going to do it the rest of his life, his kids. And so not all, not all cultures have this ability to follow your, you know, your aptitude and your, yeah. your passions, but yeah, we can. Um, similarly, um, do you have any perspective you can share on this question? What would you tell young people who are trying to figure out if God is calling them into ministry or they're considering a ministry calling? One thing that's really valuable is to have a realistic understanding of what it means, what it's like. And again, just like any any type of work, I think you need an aptitude for it and and you need to find it satisfying. And so the more experience you can have with people and in in ministry type situations, the better you'll be equipped to to kind of discern whether that's for you. And yeah. the more advice you can get from people that are in ministry, the better. And hang out with them, just ask questions, and uh, have it confirmed by other people, so it's not just your opinion. Yeah. And what what does that word mean when it comes to going into ministry calling? What, what do you think it means to be called? I think it means different things to different people. What I would say, when I was in seminary, the, the people who had it confirmed, people that know me well think that I have, would be good as a pastor or as a, you know, a counselor or something. Um, they had a certain confidence that others didn't. You, you need to have it confirmed that, yeah, this is something that, this is a way God uses you, not get a degree and hope it works out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. Um, what do young people not know about ministry that they need to know before they go into it? I think ministry 
in some ways is just like any other profession. There will be times where it's exhilarating. There'll be times where it is just hard. Then you wonder, am I doing anything that helps anybody? And so it, it's, you know, you think about it for the, you go into it for the, the long haul mm-hmm. as opposed to, I just want my life to be exciting and thinking that that will be the case week in and week, week out. You need to have the long view. So, Pastor Steve, you've been ministering for over 35 years now. How do you feel about the idea of that journey coming to an end? At times I'm terrified, and at times I'm excited. Um, sometimes I wonder, okay, will, will, is my identity so wrapped up in being a pastor that I'll feel lost? Um, and so I've talked a lot about that with people and thought about that a lot. But I'm also excited about it because I, there are things I want to give myself to that I don't really have the time to in my, my current role. And so I've loved every every stage of the journey, really. And, and I'm looking forward to the time when I'm no longer senior pastor at Faith. Yeah. What has kept you going all this time? The grace of God, ultimately, is, 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 the, uh, is the answer. And I think that the grace of God has come through individual people and through the church I've served. The fact that I've been able to stay at Faith for 35 years says at least as much about the church as it does about me. It's been the type of church that has really taken care of us and really uh, given me the space to be myself, which is is a great, great gift. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Pastor Steve, thank you for sitting down with me for this conversation and being generous with your time and your wisdom. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Pastor Steve Ratliff on the Love What You Do podcast. I want to leave you with a quote from Eugene Peterson, who Steve mentioned in the podcast. People are not problems to be solved. They are mysteries to be explored. Thank you for listening.